The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Okay. All right. You have heard that uh, it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But if I, t- if I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there <clears throat> you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Lucerek words that's off Aranzin Nerun Spanuchun Mikare. Over word Spanuchun Ane that has stani part of the Tilna. Bites yes, says Kasem. Over Iriakpoira Paraptera Sertori that has stani part of the Tilna. Over Iriakpoira Himar Asse Atenanen part of the Tilna. Over Iriakpoira Amitase. Kaheni Karaki, Parta Vortatilna. Uremen, yes, Teko and Zat Seranin Vera, Beres Uhon Mitka, Date Ko Yer Parkezi Dem Bane, Hon Ze Seranin Arjev, Gna Araj Yerpur Head Hashtavi Uheta Yegur, Vorko and Zat Matutsanes, Ko Vostek Head Shutov Miabane, Kani Vor Anor Head Jamban Petkelnas. Chilnate ko vosorikes datavorin matne yev datavora dahajani yev bante engni. Cheshmarit kasem kezi, petil ases anke michevor virgin nakariakate javasen. And this is World of the God. Thank you, my friend. Can I hand that to you? Morning, Story City. How are you guys this morning? All right. It is a good, good day. It is wonderful to see you guys. I'm doubly blessed. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here. It's super exciting. Uh, you can hear him. Those of you online, you can't hear, but for those of you in the room, you can hear my son. He's here today. He normally is uh, usually a little too loud to be here. Uh, he's in the wheelchair. It's his 17th birthday. So if you see him, give him, uh, give him a high five. He is... Uh, I know how I'm old enough to have a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old. I'm not sure how my wife is old enough to have that. That's another whole question. My mom's here today, too, which is super cool. So fun way to celebrate the day. Yeah, you should be clapping for her. Clearly, you guys know what it's like to have uh, raised me. So, um. Hey, if you didn't catch it when Josh said uh, the city of Burbank, if you don't want to donate to them and your car is parked along the curb, we do have a two-hour limit. Uh, it's posted signs there. They have been ticketing. I did get a ticket, so I would advise you to, to move your car if you get the opportunity. Uh, if not, no big deal. Um, you know, anyhow. 
Well, uh, welcome again to Story City Church. We are excited that you're here. Uh, Story City is a family of churches. We have a, um, another campus in Burbank. Together, we're, we're meeting together right now, but we are looking forward to launching Burbank again soon, and we're excited about that. Together as a family, we are learning how to be apprentices of Jesus. An apprentice is someone who learns at the feet of a master. And so our job is to figure out how we, how we can not just uh, get to know Jesus, but really what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what it means to love others in the same way. And so that's, that's really important. Uh, by the way, I want to mention, if you didn't get a note sheet uh, if you, when you come in, if you raise your hand, we'll get one of our um, staff, one of our uh, hospitality people to get you a note sheet. So you can take notes if you like. On the back side is a community group questions in case you want to do that. All right. Uh, we did something a little bit different for a minute to mingle, and that was coming up with pet peeves. So what are some of your pet peeves? What do you got? Mispronunciations. Okay. Daryl got to share his chipotle the other day. That would be your pet peeve for, for Daryl. Got it. Okay. What, what else we got? Not being listened to. Okay. Stop looking at your wife. Got it? What? What's your pet peeve? Oh, okay. We'll get you the pet peeve, not getting a paper when you come in. Got it. Thank you, Tracy, for taking care of that. What else? What's your pet peeve? Chewing loudly. Okay. <laughs> Another one. Your dad. Your dad doesn't count as a pet peeve. <laughs> what was that? Oh, people who don't put their shopping carts away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when someone comes to your house and they say, do you have food? Yep, yep, that could be one. Any others? Yeah. Traffic. Traffic. Here in LA? No, you don't get that at all. Yeah. Looking at your phone while we're talking. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I was checking my phone. Yeah, okay, that's good. This section. You guys have been sort of quiet over here. When people leave time on the microwave. <laughs> when people leave time on the microwave. All right, all right. Somebody from outside. Tyler, you want to poke your head out and see if anybody's got one out there? Minute to mingle. <laughs> All right. Hey, tell them they can stay outside. <laughs> All right. That's hysterical. You guys are too fun. Hey, listen, here's what's crazy. Even the most mild-mannered person among us has crazy pet peeves, right? The non-excitable ones, we have things that just get under our skin, and I'm not talking spouses, but that is a good time for us to mention there is wonderful biblical counselors in our church, and so if you keep looking at your spouse, let us know. <laughs> we can help you get some excellent counseling. I'm not referring to them. Um, but as Jesus gets to this part of his sermon, he has kind of three parts. And the first part, he says, hey, you guys have kind of some ideas about what the Old Testament laws were. The second part, he says, I want to redefine what that looks like for you. And then the last part of this section, he says, here's some practical application for you. This is what it really looks like to live this out. 
And so we, we see that Jesus isn't replacing the law. Remember, uh, it, it talks about Jesus being the embodiment of the law, the fulfillment of the law. In other words, we see the fullness of what the law is, the true picture of what God intends in Jesus. It's kind of like looking at an anamorphic sculpture where you see a bunch of random things hanging. I mean, you look at it from the side, you're like, this is really weird. But when you get to a perfect perspective, it, it aligns to one perfect object, one thing that makes total sense. And so this is what we're doing with this law this morning. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to the pet peeves for just a second. Here's a couple of my pet peeves. I'll tell you my number one pet peeve is indecision. If you can't make up your mind, whew, I would rather you make a bad decision or a poor decision than no decision at all, because we can work our way out of a bad decision. But if you can make no decision, I have, I, I tell you, I repent now, okay? <laughs> I, I have such a hard time with that. Um, you know, husbands, I know you don't know what it's like when you're like, hey, honey, where should we go to eat? And it's like, I don't care wherever you want to go. And so then I always pick the place my wife hates. Like, let's go to this place. She's like, you know, I don't like that place. I said, well, you said anywhere. I want to go. But, but indecision. And, uh, and so my wife has learned now she makes decisions really quickly. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going to pick that place. But, but that, that, that really bugs me. Here's another one. Uh, traffic. But, but it's the person in front of me in traffic when I'm already late that, that likes to keep 14 car lengths in between them, and then they jam on their brakes when they get to 13 car lengths. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's no reason to hit your brakes whatsoever, but they, they, they really love to do that brake checking thing. And, and so I, oh man, that stuff just like, whew. But here's what's crazy. The issue in that example actually isn't traffic. The issue isn't actually traffic. You see, there's days when I'm not in a hurry where actually traffic doesn't really bother me. In fact, it's a great time for me sometimes to catch up on phone calls that I, I couldn't get, not text messaging for you teen drivers in the front here. Okay. It's a great time for me. You know, sometimes uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly reading and, and, and the car ride, I listen to Audible. Sometimes that's the place for my fun reading. It's a time where I, I'm, I'm just sort of relaxing. I'm thinking like it doesn't even really bother me. So the issue that bothers me is the fact that I'm late is when the traffic really gets to me, right? I'm not even consistent about it. And so the issue isn't even traffic. The issue is the fact that I feel inconvenienced because everybody in the world should know that I have someplace to get and I'm frustrated because I didn't leave enough time to get there. Here's another one. As a parent, uh, I've watched myself get angry at my kids for playing too loudly in the room that I'm in. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, your parents are listening, I promise you. This. But I've, I've gotten angry, and, and I remember one time in particular, I was like, kids, go play in the other room. And my kids looked at me like kind of confused, like, what, what the heck, why are you mad? And it hit me in that moment. They were doing the exact same thing the day before, and I wasn't angry then. I was laughing at him. So why was I mad? I was mad because I had a headache today. And today what they're doing was wrong, but yesterday it wasn't wrong. And the truth is that playing loudly in the living room is not the issue. The issue is I feel inconvenienced and I'm upset because I have a headache and I want it quiet in this moment. At the idea, the idea behind all this is that really, it, it's my pet peeves aren't really about what my pet peeves are. They're really about stuff that's going on inside of me. 
This is really what Jesus is driving at in this portion of the sermon. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. Point number one is murder begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. Jesus takes the Old Testament law, do not murder, and he says, hey, you guys, you guys have taken this to a different point, and, and, and congratulations. You know, you're, you're saying, uh, you know, don't murder. That's awesome. And Jesus says, hey, look, good job of getting to the not illegally taking somebody's life. Like, congratulations. You know, you, you stop just short of murdering somebody. That's great, but that's not really what this law was intended to be. But see, the religious leaders of the day because they didn't want to have to deal with all the other stuff that, that the law connotated, all the other stuff it brought in, they were like, hey, we're just going to kind of reduce this to like, hey, don't murder somebody literally or else you're just going to end up facing the courts. That's really what it came down to. They almost removed the idea of God out of that law. And Jesus says, hey, the courts, people, you should be worried about hell. Like there's so much more. Your eternal soul is wrapped up in this. This isn't just a court issue. You guys are missing the whole point of this. And so, yeah, you should be worried about the courts, but also hell. And Jesus says, by the way, the definition isn't just don't actually murder somebody. And so you can be proud that you stopped yourself just short of doing something wrong. He says, all the things in your heart that lead up to this place are included in that. Jesus includes the heart because he shows that the progression is from the heart to the mouth to our hands. Let me come back to that in a moment. For now, I think it's, it's, it's important to actually define what Jesus means when he uses the word anger. I mean, you've probably heard, don't go to bed angry, right? You've heard that before. Uh, side note, real quick note. Um, those who have taken that to the marriage uh, and said, hey, don't go to bed angry. And so if you try to stay up to two in the morning trying to solve something, that is stupid. And I just tell you now from being, this year will be my 25th year married, it doesn't work, okay? Here's, here's what the intent of that is, right? I'm gonna redefine this for you. Uh, there's times where you need to go, hey, look, we're not gonna agree tonight, but staying up and trying to argue this out is not gonna work, so here's the deal. Let's go to bed, and I promise you that going to bed, we will work on this in the morning. I promise you I will do the best to come not upset in this. I, will pro I promise going to bed that in the morning I'm gonna have a fresh perspective and I will do what I can to do my part to resolve this. That, we, it doesn't have to be resolved in that moment, but we can go to bed without trying to hold on to that I'm right and you're wrong deal. Does that make sense? Okay, so don't, don't, let's not misinterpret that, the intent of that. Don't go to bed angry. But you've heard the don't be angry, uh, be angry, but don't sin. Both of those come from the same verse in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. It says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So here's the problem. Which is it? Be angry and don't sin or don't be angry? What, what is actually, what's going on here? What is it that Jesus is actually talking about? I'm angry in my heart. I'm a murderer, but somehow I can be angry and not sin. It, it gets confusing. And so let's get into this. The word that Matthew says Jesus used for anger is the word orgizo. And, and orgizo is not just a, a passing anger or a flare-up of anger. It's literally like a full-blown rage. It's like a tempest. It's something that like fuels itself. It builds on itself. It gets more and more. It's, it's consuming. You know where you start getting into that circular thought where you get angry and then the fact that you're angry, you feel like you're violated because you're angry and so then you're angry because you're angry and that person made you angry and it's just like, it's all consuming. 
fury. I was once fighting a fire in the Marriott Marina in San Diego. I was on a fireboat, and uh, there was five fully engulfed yachts that were, that were burning. A million-dollar yachts are on fire, and the flames were like 60 feet high at one point. At one point, they had um, the propane tanks were lighting off, and they were shooting up in the sky on fire, and then they were coming down like missiles and dropping all around the boat. It was crazy, but the flames were, were so big that they began to create its own wind. And it was almost like it was alive. And so I'm trying to run the pumps on the boat. I'm trying to, to keep the boat straight and steady. I've got a firefighter on the front bow. And this, the wind is just pushing the boat back. It's like that, that fire that gets uh, so big it starts making its own wind is the same, the same uh, meaning really behind Orgizo. And something happens to us when we harbor anger in our hearts, when we come to that place where we're, we're just kind of holding on to that stuff and it begins to consume us from the inside out. It does something to us. When we nurture anger in our hearts, inevitably it comes out our mouths. And this is exactly what Jesus points to in verse 22. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults, right? Jesus is changing this now. He's, he's tying this together. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now, the word translated insult and you fool are the words raka and moros, respectively. And when I was growing up, I was taught uh, you fool is the word that you can't say. And it was more about don't say this word, right? This isn't what Jesus is getting to. The closest words we would have in our language today to raka and moros would be like Karen <laughs> and moron, Right? And again, what Jesus is condemning is not, hey, you can't call anybody a Karen. It's not the word that Jesus is saying. It's the heart attitude that gets us to that place. And Jesus is saying there's something wrong when this agitation, this stuff becomes so big in us that it comes out of our mouth. And Jesus says that is the pathway. We are on the pathway to murder in our hearts and eventually murder in our hands. Why? Because Jesus says what's in your heart will come out your mouth. What is in our heart is what comes out our mouth. Now, Jesus clarifies that we're guilty of murder at the harboring of anger, not the physical act itself. He says, literally, we are subject to judgment for the anger that we're harboring. Yeah, congratulations, you didn't actually murder somebody. You threatened it on the freeway, but you didn't do it. That doesn't make you not guilty of the sin. It's an incredible standard. And you might think, well, okay, this whole thing is ridiculous because I'm not one that would ever actually murder somebody. But there's lots of ways that we actually fall into this without realizing it. There's lots of ways this is still applicable. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. We can destroy people's reputation. We can shake somebody else's confidence in them by whispering criticism or by deliberate fault finding. Killing does not only mean life physically, it means still more trying to destroy the spirit and the soul, destroying the person in any shape or form. Hashtag Twitter, anyone? Like our pet peeves, our actions are not always what we think they're about. When we get into the place of conflict with someone, we often justify by our outrage as, oh, I'm just correcting somebody. I'm just helping, they just, they're just, they just don't get it. They're too stupid to understand. Like, you can't think this way anymore. I'm helping fix them. None of you have ever said that, I know. We're rescuing the world from their humanity, from their stupidity, right? I've heard that somewhere before. Oh, yeah. 
Raka, Moros, same thing. This is one of those places in scriptures where I kind of wish like maybe I'd never read that part and I didn't know it. Because it's so easy for me to do what the religious leaders did in Jesus' day, to, to draw the lines around and be like, well, okay, I, I kind of don't like that part. Well, if I just get back to the part, well, I've never, you know, like I don't get angry enough to go beat people up. So that's cool. That's a win, right? I'm, I'm, I'm solid. I'm good. And then I ignore what's actually going on in my heart. And instead of changing behavior, I just sort of redefine the laws to kind of what I like so that I don't feel guilty about violating those very things. You see, the truth is, is that when somebody hurts me and I get angry about it, I, I, if I'm being really honest, when I, at the core in those moments, I really don't want, not only forgive them, I really don't want them to be sorry. I actually kind of don't even want them to be fixed. If I'm being truly honest, you know what I really want? I want them to experience the same pain that I have so they understand how bad they've hurt me. If I'm being truly honest, I want them to experience just a moment of, of the pain that I feel like they've caused, and I want them to suffer just a little bit so they get it so that they won't do it again. Or at least so that they'll feel sorry enough for me that they can understand why I'm upset. And this is exactly the attitude that Jesus is calling out, and it's not the example that Jesus used when he was hurt. So then, what is righteous anger? If that's what anger is, then what, what is righteous anger? Because Jesus got angry. I mean, Jesus called out the Pharisees. He corrected them. But here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus gets angry in scriptures and we see it, when he calls out the Pharisees, it's never because he has been slighted, offended, harmed, maligned, or personally mistreated. Never. It's never for those reasons. When arrested, mocked, beaten, crucified, he was quiet as a lamb to the slaughter. He did not rebuke his tormentors or even offer self-defense. Jesus didn't even justify himself. Jesus was silent except to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When Jesus gets angry, it's always against sin, false religion, hypocrisy, and the self-righteousness that rejects God, his kingdom, and his reign. Jesus became angry for the sake of others. In the same way, it's not wrong for us to feel righteous angry, anger as we view sin, hypocrisy, unrighteousness, and everything evil. It's right to get angry over those things. For example, it would be justifiable anger when we see a husband, wife, or child abused. It's right to be angry about those things. They are not right. Our job is to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. This is what God has done for us. It should rightly motivate us and move us to protect those who cannot protect themselves. That's right. That is good. It turns to unrighteous anger when we let that anger against that person begin to grow into something where we want to see them destroyed, where we want to see them harmed, where we want to see our own justice and retribution, where we don't trust God and the courts to do what they're supposed to do. Now, here's what I'm saying. We don't want to harbor anger and even while we hate the sin, we're never to hate the sinner. This doesn't mean we don't have healthy boundaries. This doesn't mean we naively stay in dangerous situations or leave people in dangerous situations. It means that we can be vehemently opposed to the sin, appropriately removed from the situation, and still be actively praying for the salvation and the repentance of the perpetrator. You guys hear me? Jesus has already taught that our hearts should break and we should pray for those who don't know him, even those who are our enemies. 
That is hard to do. It's hard to do. Those of us who experience true hurt, true pain at the hands of others, it's easier to say, I will deal with my own stuff as a result. It's much harder for me to say, I can pray for that person to come to know Jesus. Why? Because in the same way that I really just want somebody to suffer because of what they've done to me, right? This is ugly stuff. I wish I didn't have to admit this. But because that's kind of where my heart is, it's kind of where I want to see people too. And what happens is this is where I begin to say, I'm almost putting myself in the place of God. See, the reality is, is that when, when we demand justice, we have to remember that all justice that needed to be laid on Jesus was, uh, for the entire world was laid on Jesus. Whatever the perpetrator has done to us, Jesus was literally beaten, mocked, and murdered because of what that person did to us. He carried all sin on himself. And so the most innocent one, the righteous one, for, for what was done to me has paid that price. And so justice has been served. Justice is being served and justice will be served when God comes and makes all things right. And so I have to trust that God in his goodness will do exactly what is necessary, but I pray for those who have harmed in deep, deep ways that God restores and renews and refreshes, again, with healthy boundaries. Doesn't mean I have to have a relationship with the person anymore. I can still pray for their salvation, their forgiveness. If you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. As apprentices of Jesus, we are a people of reconciliation. As apprentices of Jesus, we are a people of reconciliation. In the beginning, I talked about how Jesus' message here could be broken into three parts. As a reminder, the first part is you've heard it was said. Jesus then uh, explains or shows God's true intent for the law as a second part. But in the third part, Jesus gets practical on us. And so let's go back and look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. This is kind of shocking to be honest with you. I mean, here's where we're at so far. First, Jesus approves the ancient command and forbids the act of murder. He then adds that anger and contempt in our hearts amount to murder too. And now he gives us a shared responsibility to prevent the murderous acts or attitudes in the hearts of other believers. He puts some of that responsibility on us for others. He'll go on to say that we must even try to prevent anger in our enemies. But let's go back to our brothers and sisters in the faith in verse 23 and 24. Christians sometimes say, I know that if I have a problem with my brother and sister, then I have to go back and do something about it. I know I gotta work it out. That's true. God knows our worship is complete hypocrisy if we profess to love him but hate our brothers and sisters in the faith. It's fake. We can't say, I love God and I hate people. It doesn't work. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, it says, if anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, the person is still living in darkness. Now think about this. It says, don't give your offering. What would our offering be to God today when we come to the altar, right? We're not bringing sacrificed animals anymore. If you do, please keep it outside. We just did the floors. It's okay. So what is our offering? 
It's ourselves. That's a flawed and broken offering. But we're, we're literally giving our actions, our heart, our words. We're, we're laying ourselves in line saying, God, everything I have is, you, is yours. You own me anyway. Here I am. I'm giving myself to you. And God says, don't even bother. Don't even bother. But this is where Jesus doesn't stop. This is crazy. Jesus says, not if you have something, but if your brother has something against you. That word so, or in other translations, therefore always ties what come next, comes next to what was before. In other words, because of this, because of that, we do this. And so if it's good for us to refrain from murder and murderous attitudes, then it's also good for us to present to prevent murderous attitudes in others if possible. You see, we in Western culture are so used to everything being so individual. But in Eastern culture and in Christianity, we're not, we're family. We're together. Everything is corporate in that sense. And so the reality is unity is a big deal to God. And, and our family here has flowed, has flowed, has flowed as we are, as flawed, see, as flawed and broken as we are, we are together in serving Jesus. And so we are called then to begin to make sure that there is unity in the body of Christ. This heart condition, harboring anger, actually inhibits not only my ability to worship, but the corporate ability to worship if somebody has something against me, if I'm harboring anger in my heart, if I'm allowing somebody to harbor anger in their heart because of something that I've done that I have not addressed. Man, that's, that's hard, isn't it? This went from being easy to like, yeah, I'm not gonna murder anybody to what? Really, God, you're calling me to do this too? But Jesus ends his section on anger and murder by taking it out to his logical conclusion. In the same way, he points out the sin goes from heart to mouth to hands. He says reconciliation starts with us. It extends to our family in Christ and it goes out even to our enemies. The language about being on the way to the courts points to the attempt to reconcile up to the last minute possible. You see, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. The apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is king over all creation. Whether or not that creation acknowledges or recognizes or admits that he is king, Christ is still king over all of it. Before we acknowledged his reign over us, we were the enemies of God. And yet, while we were still the enemies of God, he died for us. Not when we got our lives right. Not when everything started working well. Not when we're like, okay, you're kind of holy now, so you're figuring it out, right? Before we conformed. It's incredible. It's a part of the gospel that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. So as your worship team makes their way back up, I want you to know that our job as apprentices of Jesus is to model Jesus, to make our lives point to his goodness, his love, his mercy, his lordship and kingship over our lives and all creation. As we begin to deal with anger and reconciliation as Jesus modeled and taught, it stands in stark contrast to how we would normally do things. 
I'm not purposely normally running out and trying to fix all the things that people have wrong with me and their attitudes with me, but this is what God has called me to. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's here to help that each and every day we can be more and more like Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, we'll find that we are supernaturally rescued and renewed in ways we can see and ways we can't. We can begin to love and be gracious and forgiving to ourselves and to others because Jesus did it first. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, to take the next step and be baptized, if you want to be prayed for, we'd encourage you to visit us at the next step tables. There's one outside and one in the foyer. We'd love to see you there. You can follow the link for those of you who are joining us online. We'd love to pray for you as well. Let's pray now. God, you are incredibly gracious. You are loving. You are worthy of our praise. You are holy. I thank you that, that all the things we think we're owed, the rights we have for those who have violated us, Lord, that you paid that penalty on the cross. You took the abuse. You took the pain. You took the death penalty. And so, Lord, we lay that at your feet and say we trust you with us with our hurts, with our habits, with our hangups, with those things that we've done to harm others and the things that have been done to us. We say, make all things new in you. In the name of Jesus.